you're here today to talk to us about Eternal Beauty, which I saw back in February now, I want to say, at the BAFTA Cymru screening in Chapter. Yeah. Saw it in 35 mil. And um, to this day, it is you know, one of the best cinema- cinematic experiences I've had, certainly for 2020. I love that we're the best uh, experience of 2020 because there is no cinem- cinematic experiences <laughs> of 2020. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Danjo Film Show. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're keeping safe wherever you are. As always, I'm joined by the guy that swoops me up like a monsoon. He can be my Bill and my Ted. Uh, And Enola Holmes, get out of here. It's Joe Richards. (laughs) Hello, hello. How are you? You okay? I'm doing well. Very impressive. Very impressive, especially considering you are run down with cold right now, aren't you? You've got got a few little sniffles going on today, haven't you? I do. I do. If if you hear some liquid going into the mic, there's a lot of stuff. (laughs) No, I'm totally fine. Um, It is just a common cold. Don't panic, anybody. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just a runny nose, but I'm I'm getting over it. And uh, lots of hot tea and paracetamol keep you going but i was thinking every episode i think i should introduce you using the films in some sort of way i think that might be yeah. a good challenge you know yeah i think that'd be good especially like towards uh, when we do our one year anniversary show yeah you know we can we can put them all together we can kind of string them together and people can vote on what their favorite introduction was yeah. for the show and maybe one day maybe i'll introduce you one day just to mix things up who what? knows you know, no can you imagine that <laughs> That'd be good, wouldn't it? Maybe you'll mix it up one day. You are you are crazy. You are ridiculous <laughs> yeah. now. I know. Oh, I'm living wow. life on the edge, aren't I? I'm living Christopher life on Nolan, the edge. get over here. Because, you know, forget <laughs> Tenet. I'm just confused by that. But Yeah, um, yeah exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, good, it's good to see you. Um, I, I'm a bit under the weather, but how are you? How have you been? How's uh, Obviously, local lockdowns here in Wales. Yeah. I know that our last episode, it was... It's a bit lot less grim than last episode. Last episode, it was kind of which we were just getting to those lockdowns, but we are in local lockdown, so we can't see each other in person, even if no. we wanted to, which might be good because I think Joe's uh, pulled out a straining order over me, so uh, we'll just see. About that. Um, <laughs> but how, how have you, no? How have you been anyway? Yeah, yeah, I've been good, uh, not too bad. I like you have kind of been. I've I've had a few days where I felt a bit rough, a bit of cold. I think it's that time of the year now, isn't it? where the seasons sort of change really quickly as well. It just seems like one day the season has changed and it's a lot colder, you really feel the cold and you have to rethink your entire wardrobe all of a sudden as well before you go out for the day or to the cinema. So there have been a few days where I've felt a bit sniffly like you. Sunday, I had a very sniffly day. So what I did was I literally wrapped up in a blanket on the sofa, Dan. Okay, I don't know if you can do this. I wrapped up in the blanket on the sofa and I watched a very nostalgic movie of mine. Uh, We've mentioned it on the show before and um, I'll give you a clue as to what I watched. Quack. Quack. Oh, no! Oh, that's just made my day. The Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks. Ducks. I watched The Mighty Ducks um, on Disney+. Plus. 
I had not seen that film in so, so long. And I've got to say, it's still as great as ever. That soundtrack, that score, mwah, it is a thing of beauty. Maybe, you know, get through to the weekend now and then maybe on Saturday you can do that, but watch High School Musical instead because I know that's your equivalent, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we all we all would love to have the Mighty Ducks 1, 2, 3, 4 and 700, but uh, for, me, it's, <laughs> for me, High School Musical knew when to stop and they stopped at three. They made it a trilogy. And despite lots of paychecks and lots of people saying, oh, come on, one more, the High School Musical guy said, no, the curtain is shut, no more on-calls. Um, so yeah, High School Musical for me all the way. That'd be a good debate though, wouldn't it? Which is better, but um, yeah, yeah, it's we'll interesting. See. We'll see. Um, and I agree. It's always nice to kind of cuddle up, you know, with a duvet or something and just watch your favourite film. It's always good. And speaking of films, this week we've got lots of new releases. Bill and Ted, Faces the Music, the new one with Keanu Reeves, Monsoon, uh, Enola Holmes, which is on Netflix at the minute. And also uh, very, very excited to be chatting to Craig Roberts, director of Eternal Beauty. Such a lovely guy, um, and I can't wait because obviously we did a show back in February when you saw the film in 35mm yeah. in Chapter and um, before all the COVID stuff kicked off, and I recently just watched it now. So what was it like for you kind of watching the film back in February and then obviously chatting to the director himself? What was it like for you, Joe? It was great. It kind of came full circle, I guess, because back in February, that was kind of my intention of going there to try and get an interview, but I could see how busy it was. I just knew that it wasn't going to happen. I did at the time approach Craig and I said how much I loved the film. And yeah, it was great to be able to support the film back whenever it was in February before all this kind of kicked off. And then to suddenly have the opportunity to talk to him via Zoom, not in person, to uh, talk about the film. Because I'm a big fan of this film. We'll talk about it more later on, but I'm a big fan. And I think it's the type of film which deserves a lot of support. And, you know, we're more than happy to support it, um, especially in these times. But yeah, looking forward to talking about it a bit more later on. Yeah, can't wait. Uh, should we get to some news stories this week? Because yeah. obviously, um, we ha our last episode was a couple of weeks ago. There's a lot to catch up on. Obviously, due to the coronavirus pandemic, there have been more delays. Uh, you thought you saw the last of them. Oh no, here they are again. Um, so the first one, obviously, we've got Wonder Woman, which was due to be released October 2nd. That's been pushed back now till Christmas. And then following that, Black Widow has been pushed back almost kind of when you think about it, it's supposed to be due this May. Um, yeah. It's now being released next May, 2021. I can't believe it. And we were speaking beforehand, obviously, because a lot is hanging now in the balance for No Time to Die and how that's going to do in the box office. Um, but what do you make of all this? Do, do you think after Tenet, after Christopher Nolan put his neck on the line, looking back now, we thought back in August it would be totally fine and then studios would see how well it's done and just it all start flooding back to the cinema. Are you shocked by some of these delays? Well, I mean, it's tough, isn't it? Because we, we're all back in local lockdown, as you said, and it sounds like studios haven't got faith that this is going to be over anytime soon. On the one hand, I'm glad that at least these studios are saying, look, we're going to wait, we're going to push them back to, uh, to a time where they can be seen on the biggest screen possible. At least they're not coming back and saying, you know, we're going to release it straight to VOD. And I think that's an interesting point to bring up is the fact that obviously Mulan was released straight to VOD. We, we talked about this a lot, saying how we felt that Disney were making the wrong choice. I think it's quite clear that Disney did make the wrong choice, especially considering the film 
film's strongest aspect is the visual visual appeal to it. The fact that they've pushed Black Widow back to May next year, I think they haven't officially announced anything in terms of how well Mulan has done, which again, that kind of says it all because I think if it was really, really successful, I think Disney would be raving about how successful it did, but they haven't said anything. And I think the fact that they're pushing uh, Black Widow back to May next year goes to show that they don't have enough faith in their own VOD packaging that they did for Mulan. So it's quite nice in a way that I think a lot of studios have kind of realised that the whole straight to streaming thing doesn't necessarily work and it's probably best to wait until the films can be seen on the big screen. It all really kind of stands now with James Bond, I think. I think there's a lot of pressure. It was originally the pressure was on Christopher Nolan and Tenet. And I feel like the pressure has now moved on to James Bond's shoulders. I think there's that line in the trailer where Bond is, uh, says something like, if we don't do this now, there'll be nothing left to save. And people have kind of used that line as, as a definition for how important this film is to cinemas right now. I personally think it will stand its ground. I think, I think it'll be released November 17th. I'm confident of that, providing we don't go into a second national lockdown. Obviously, I want to see these films now, and I'd rather see them sooner rather than later. But at the same time, I'd rather see them on the bigger screen possible. So it is a, it is a strange one. How do you feel about it all? Yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head there. And when you look at Mulan's figures, they're not good. And apparently only 30% of subscribers actually paid for the PVOD, mm-hmm. uh, which is very, very shocking because I know a lot of people, people who've been on this show as well, were claiming that, um, oh, even if half the subscribers pay for it, you're looking at doubling, so 400 million, doubling its budget. It'll be a huge success. It didn't work out that way. Uh, and I think it has a lot to do with the price tag they put on it. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that you're right, people want to see it in the cinema. I'm not like against this. I, I think, stu- you know, two right studios are quite afraid because obviously you've got local lockdowns here in the UK. The US more so, apparently 75% of chains have opened in America, but New York and California are still closed. Yeah. And if, if you know anything, New York is like the biggest city when it comes to movie releasing. I mean, they have the highest revenue for it. So I'm not surprised. And I, like we always say, America kind of dictates everything with all these, but I'd be very very shocked if Bond delays. I think it will stick its ground, like you said. Um, mm. And I, I can see it now a bit like with Tenet. I, I still have a huge amount of respect for Christopher Nolan. There are a lot of people who kind of say, oh, it hasn't done very well. I think it's done terrifically well, personally. I think to reach 300 million globally in a pandemic and the fact that it has reduced seating, reduced capacity in the screens um, and people have still gone out to watch it, I think it's been really commendable. It probably hasn't made as much as maybe if we were in a, in a pandemic, but Nolan knows that and he carried on anyway. So I think we're looking at another tenant here. I think Bond will stick his ground and hopefully it'll do really, really well. You're late. When you're ready. Salute. I met your new double O. She's a disarming young woman. I get why you shot him. Yeah, well, everyone tries at least once. James Bond. We both eradicate people to make the world a better place. I just want to be a little tidier. Come on, Bond. 
flying one of these? Nope. Harder to tell the good from bad, villains from heroes these days. What is it? You don't know what this is. He's going to kill millions. If we don't do this, there will be nothing left to save. Uh, moving on now to our second news story of today, uh, and I, I don't know whether you saw this, but it was kind of making, making its round in America. The Oscars, we love the Oscars. We did an Oscar special earlier on in the year. Still no kind of sign of whether they're going to do the Oscars virtually in February or they're going to have it live. We don't know. But one thing Oscars, the Academy Awards has updated us with, is basically a, a criteria now for all films that want to be nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, whatever the award, and um, basically you've got a criteria now of what they should follow. So, for example, for uh, supporting actors and actresses, at least one of the lead actors or, or supporting actors has to be from an underrepresented racial or ethnic group. 30% of all actors and minor roles have to be from underrepresented groups such as LGBTQ+, people with cognitive or physical disabilities. In terms of the subject matters, um, you, the film has to cover either women, racial, ethnic groups, LGBTQ, or people with disabilities. Um, so we're seeing here kind of like a criteria that we would have at university or in school where you write an assignment or an essay or make a film and they say, right, okay, this is, these are kind of uh, what you need to cover. I don't know, Joe, do you think this is good for the Oscars? Do you think it's being reflected in the sense of it's going to encourage diversity and inclusivity? Or do you think telling us a, a film or a director or a studio, well, we, you can't be nominated for an Oscar if you don't take these boxes, regardless of the quality of the film? Well, what do you make of all this? I think, I think it's important. I, I do think it's the right decision to make. And that, that's based off of, really, last year's Oscars. I feel like last year's Oscars were really strange. Obviously, Parasite did extremely well. They made Oscars history. And that film is very deserving. It's still my favourite film of 2020 so far. And, you know, it made history and it, it deserved that. But still, there were other films which just had no recognition whatsoever. I know you loved Waves. Waves should have been in there. Queen and Slim, that should have had some sort of recognition as well. Queen and Slim, again, one of my favourite films of 2020. So I think if this has that effect where films like Waves and films like Queen and Slim and maybe films even like Portrait of a Lady on Fire, whatever, get better recognition than they have previously, then I'm all for that. I know there are people who don't like you know, being dictated to and don't think it's very fair. But I think it's going to make people pay more attention to those films, which maybe they've not been that interested in. Because Oscar season is weird. Like, you you see, like, like your nan going to see, like, the most strangest film just because it's got Oscar buzz, you know? And I totally believe in that effect of the Oscar buzz. Seeing Oscar nominated for, for Best Picture has an effect on people, even, like, the people who aren't interested in films. So for, if that can have a 
an effect on people to go, oh, this this film, Queen and Slim, you know, it's, it's up for best picture or best actor. And they'll go and watch it, whereas before maybe they wouldn't have bothered or paid enough attention to it. Then I am all for that, for sure. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. I think audiences have, have always done that, right? I think audiences have been the least biased, really. I think the Oscars were the problem for the last yes, couple of years. Yeah. We had 2014 Oscars so white. We had Me Too come into the Oscars. Last year, in particular, director's category, all five men. Mm-hmm. And totally, I think the Academy Awards needs to change its attitude, needs to become more diverse, needs to be more eclectic and inclusive, and, and especially towards women as well. I feel like they're totally overlooked every year. Audiences, on the other hand, you're right. Your nan would go see a film that you would never expect <laughs> to see. And, and like, yeah, my parents, the same, and my friends would go see Oscar films, not because, oh, well, we, we better go and watch this because it's got an ethnic group in it or because it's got, um, it's about disability. They did it because they're really good films. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with Parasite. I was so happy when it went, although I hadn't seen it when it had won the Oscar. And then I watched it and I was like, wow, that blew me away. And I'm so glad it won. But there were still people who were resenting it, who hadn't seen the film. They were going, oh, well, you know, I, I love Gone with the Wind and I love, I love So-So, I love all these classics. Is it really a classic without actually seeing it? So I mm-hmm. think you're right. I think it's, it's good the Oscars are taking this direction. But, it, you know, in terms of the audiences, I think they've always come in with an open mind. I think they've always been encouraged to watch films about LGBTQ, about feminism, about black history. And I yeah. think that's great. And I, and I think those who are not going in that direction, I think it's a shame. Yeah, I think Oscars are going in the right direction. Who knows about this year's ceremony, whether it will be virtually online. Hopefully it will be you know, happening in person. We'll wait and see. But um, mm. yeah, I think a good move. And hopefully BAFTA will follow suit because, again, the fact that Blue Story had no recognition last year now, I think it was. You know, Blue Story, again, was such a brilliant film and that stayed with you for so long and that had no recognition in terms of BAFTA awards or anything like that. Hopefully they'll take this as a positive step going forward and and they'll kind of follow suit and then maybe we can see some really exciting British uh, filmmakers, you know, diverse British filmmakers, uh, female British filmmakers getting some recognition that they deserve as well. 25 years ago, you played a concert in front of the entire world. One month ago, you played in Barso, California for 40 people, most of whom were there for $2 taco night. Bill and Ted. What have you got to say for yourselves? Be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. We were supposed to unite the world and save reality as we know it. Bill, we've spent our whole life trying to write the song that will unite the world. Why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Whoa! Take it from ourselves! But isn't that stealing? How is that stealing if we're stealing it from ourselves, dude? No way! How'd you like our song? It's a little on the dark side, but you know, that's cool. 
the boys are back, baby. The boys are back. So Bill and Ted face the music. Uh, this is the third in the uh, Bill and Ted series. Joe, I know you're a big, big fan of these. Obviously, you've got Keanu Reeves coming back, Alice Winter, who play uh, Theodore and Bill Preston. Shall I explain the story or would you like to? No, no, you, you can go for it. I want to I wanna hear you explain the story. Okay, here we go. All right, you ready, kids? Are we sitting comfortably? Here we go. I'm going to give my best shot. So this is directed by uh, Dean Parasot. It takes place uh, many, many years after the second instalment. I've not seen the first two, so, um, you know, go along with me on this one. <laughs> um, so the ruler of the future tells best friends, Bill and Ted, they must compose a new song to save life as we know it. But instead of writing it, they decide to travel through time to steal it from their older selves. Meanwhile, their young daughters, played by Samara Weaven and Bridget Lindy, who play Theod Theodora uh, and Wilhelmina. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. Um, they decide to pull on their own musical scheme uh, and basically uh, go through history and pick out some of the most famous composers. You've got uh, Mozart, Louis Armstrong, all these really huge artists to compose their own band, okay, to save the world. So I went to see this Sunday morning. Joe, I know you saw that a week ago. And I can't wait to hear about your experience because it was very different to mine. Um, and I was the only person in the screen. I wow, couldn't believe it. that's nice. That very yeah. rarely happens. And it was a big screen. It was a huge screen. I felt like such a bum. I was sat there with my legs, my legs open like, yeah, I'm the man. <laughs> well, that sounds um, so terrific. I, I, obviously, I went Sunday morning. I have not seen the other two films. And obviously, I'd heard your thoughts about the film going into it. So I was kind of apprehensive. And I, I genuinely believe, and I think this is fair, that if you've not seen the other films, it is really difficult, I think, because I chuckled a couple of times especially in the first 10 minutes. I love the first 10 minutes. I love the humor and the zaniness of it. And I wish it kept with that. But for me, the film is so convoluted. Like the story becomes so complicated beyond belief. And there's so much exposition that goes, in, goes into it that I felt like it detracted away from the humor. Um, and that was just a big issue I had with the film all the way through is that the script is there, the actors are there, Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, they have the chemistry. And I just think that the movie was trying to kind of do too much with it. There's so much kind of, um, you know, flashbacking in time going forward in the future. I mean, it could give Tenet a run for its money, to be honest with you. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and I, I thought the performances were good and I chuckled a couple of times, but... I didn't quite get the references, all the kind of dude, 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 you know, like I was like, okay, I get it. But I genuinely believe people, even hardcore fans of the original, I think they would have enjoyed this, but I think it would have felt like a bit of a dessert. You know, I, you're content with it, you're satisfied with what they delivered, but it doesn't come close to the original. Maybe there are people who absolutely love this. So yeah, I was kind of just, I felt very out of the loop because I hadn't seen the other two. And I do feel like even if you haven't seen the other films, there should be some elements of, of a third film to kind of keep you intrigued. There just wasn't really that for me. So the first 10 minutes, the wedding scene was fantastic. And I wanted more of that. I wanted more of the Bill and Ted kind of um, reminiscing, bonding as they're getting older, how their relationships with their wives have changed. I wanted more of a kind of human story to it rather than time travel and visiting all these composers and going to hell and, you know, all the, I, all the things I think they, they try to kind of keep with to please the fans of the two first two films. So I think what I would definitely say is if you haven't seen the first two films, I don't know what you're going to think of this. I think give it a try like I did. I went in with a really open mind. I really wanted to like it and laugh a lot. But for me, 
it's just it spent too much time on the storyline and the arc and i just thought it became so convoluted uh, and it was that sense at the end where it was like save the world by 5 p.m tea time it was kind of like oh we did it in 80 minutes and i was just like well okay fair enough but um you know it's a pg it's a family film and i think you don't have to get so caught up in the kind of the logistics of, of, of the story you can easily just put lots of humor in there tongue-in-cheek you know be really self-aware and i think it just missed out on that for me so yeah not quite what I had in mind, but what did you think? I think you definitely suffered as a result of not seeing the first two. It is a film which is being made with the nostalgic draw primarily in mind. I, I love the first two. The first film's got one of the funniest jokes. It, it always makes me laugh, no matter like how how like how many times I've seen it. So when they go back in time in uh Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, Dan, and they meet the princesses who they obviously marry to in the in the third film. They like watching the um, they watching the princesses. They get caught out by like the princesses, like father, the king, and like his 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 knights, his men. They like catch them and they go. Uh, they, the king goes, put them in the Iron Maiden, and Bill and Ted look at each other and they go, Iron Maiden, excellent. <laughs> I love that joke. It is such a good <laughs> joke. And like, I think you're right. I think like, if you haven't seen the first two films, I think you are going to really struggle to kind of, because the film wastes no time. It gets straight into it. It's 80 minutes. And I think you're really going to struggle to like acclimatize to the the whole kind of tone of Bill and Ted, because it is just so weird and so over the top that I think you will suffer if you haven't seen the first two films to a degree. I went with Hannah and her family because her father's a big fan of the first two films as well. And we came out and we all kind of felt that it was okay. It was all right. Some of the plot threads, some of the moments felt a bit flat to me, specifically the robot. The robot guy, I, that was so obviously trying to be funny and it just wasn't working at all and I would have just gotten rid of him altogether. I thought whilst watching it about the line in The Wedding Singer with Adam Sandler, which I'm not sure if you've seen or not, with Adam Sandler, Drew Barrymore. And, oh, is, um, is, is that pre-2000s? It I is pre-2000s. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. you know me. <laughs> Sorry, out of my reach. Um, so in that film, Adam Sandler's friend is a limo driver and he, he kind of presents himself as this Lothario, this Casanova guy, and clearly he's not. And um, towards the end of the film, he kind of makes the confession to Adam Sandler, because it's set in the 80s, he wants to be like the Fonz. And at the end, he makes this confession to Adam Sandler saying that he's miserable, that the reason that Happy Days got cancelled was because nobody wants to see an old version of the Fonz. They don't want to see the Fonz hitting on young girls and stuff while he's clearly older now that line kind of resonated with me uh, when I kind of left Bill and Ted I was thinking I didn't really want to see an old Bill and Ted I think that kind of innocence that essence from the first two films worked so well because they were of a certain age and I don't think it worked as well with them being at the age they are now I was kind of like like you said the whole dude thing and the excellent thing it's charming to a degree, but at the same time, I was like, they're, you know, they've got daughters now, they've got families. At this point, I would have thought they would have written the song which saved the world. So 
that didn't really work for me. I've got to say the standouts for me were the daughters. I think Samara Weaving and Bridget Lundy Payne were terrific. I really liked them. And if anything, I watched it thinking their story would have been the better focus for the entire film. They should have gone down the road of focusing it on the daughters uh, of Bill and Ted, um, having them kind of be in the main focus and having just old Bill and Ted kind of in the background and kind of show up for a couple of scenes here and there. But especially considering what happens in the end, and I won't spoil it, but I kind of guessed what was going to happen in the end before I even saw the film, to be honest. So for me, it's a mixed bag. I mean, I loved the first two films. I think the third film is okay. Kind of reminds me of Toy Story 4. Whereas, is it really necessary? No. Is it enjoyable? Yes. But is it going to make any sort of impact on the ones before it? Definitely not. Of course, babes. How's it going, royal ugly dudes? I'm the Earl of Preston. And I am the Duke of Ted. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden? Excellent! Execute them. Bogus. Moving on now to another film. Joe, you've seen this. A really, really interesting star in Henry Golding, who I think is great. He's from mm. Crazy Rich Asians and Last Christmas uh, with Amelia Clark, which I just loved. Oh, I just, I, that was such a great Christmas film. And he's in a new film now called Monsoon. So take it away. Yes, Monsoon. Uh, Henry Golding stars in this, who everybody is kind of lining up to be the next Bond, which... I tell I'm you not- what. I can, I, yeah. I don't know, I, I can see it. Because people yeah. are saying like Tom Hardy and Henry Cavill, I'm going, uh, no, because yeah. he hasn't done anything like this before, Henry, um, um, Henry Golden. And I think it'd be good, you know? I think you always get those who it's like, oh, you know, it, does he fit the Bond mold? But I don't know, I think it'd be quite interesting to see it. I think he's definitely one of the more interesting choices. And to be honest, I probably would prefer Henry Golding, like you said, to Tom Hardy or Henry Cavill. I do think there are better choices out there, but if Henry Golding was Bond, I can't say I'd be too disappointed, especially after watching this, actually. So in Monsoon, he plays Kit, a British-Vietnamese man who returns to Saigon for the first time in 30 years. So during the Vietnam War, him and his family basically fled Vietnam for for the UK and they were like in a refugee boat and since then he's been living in the UK. He's returning home to Saigon now for the first time in in three decades with the sole intention essentially of scattering the ashes of his parents. Here's a clip. So how are you finding District 2? doesn't feel like the rest of Saigon. I mean, there are some parts that remind me of the Vietnam that I grew up in, mainly the poorer parts. Like that street behind the hospital. When we first met, you said it was your first time here. Did I? Yeah, you did. I lied. Sorry. 
mine. Keep it simple. You just can't get enough of me, can you? I have that effect. So I went into this, and I'll be honest, I went into this thinking it was primarily an LGBTQ story. Um, that's what seems to be the focus of the film um, from people who have kind of talked about it. So I was going in thinking specifically that it was a, a romance. It is a romance between two men, but the film is much more than that as well. The film is mainly about this young man who's returning home. He's on his own, he's traveling solo, and he is in a very strange position where he is essentially a tourist within his own home. And for me, what I really loved about it, first and foremost, was it perfectly captured that feeling of feeling alien and traveling on your own. I've traveled on my own a couple of times. I've been to New York on my own. I've been to Reykjavik on my own, both very different experiences. But like traveling to New York on your own, you have this sense of just be feeling so alone, but also so connected to the world as well. And I really liked that aspect for it. And I felt, felt that the director, um, Hong Chao, really captured that feeling of being on your own, of traveling solo and having these connections on the peripheral, but still feeling very, very alone. And it is a very contemplative piece. There are moments through the film where it's just quiet. There, there are a lot of quiet moments. And it's the type of film where during those quiet moments, a lot more is said than perhaps in the dialogue. And I really admired it for that. It takes its time. It's like 85 minutes and it flew by, but it takes its time. The pacing is really great in terms of the focus on Kit, the, the character. And while, whilst he's out there, whilst he's kind of coming to terms with grief and I guess regret and loss and kind of measuring up this whole um, experience of returning to a place which is shrouded in so much sadness he does meet another man who he basically develops a relationship with Lewis who's an American and his family were actually involved in the Vietnam War from the other side of it so they were the people who you know essentially were fighting against you know his relatives so that that adds some drama to it as well but it never kind of develops into a shouty drama. It never develops into melodrama at all. It's very grounded. It's very kind of steeped in reality. And I, I really admired it for that. Henry Golden gives such a strong performance. Again, really reserved, really quiet. And I really admired that. It, you know, I've seen him, the only films I think I've seen him in previously, he's playing the charming James Bond type, like we said, you know, um, in A Simple Favor, in Crazy Rich Asians. He's playing, even in Last Christmas, he's playing that charming kind of guy. In this, he feels like a real person. He feels very fully realized. He's got, strong emotions it's a very weighty film so you know it's dealing with these themes of loss and sadness and trying to find connection you know in, in a very lonely time in your life and he carries that on his shoulders like terrifically in the way he walks just his facial expressions 
And I thought it was a really well-crafted film, uh, which, which was more than an LGBTQ story. And I really appreciated that as well. I think it's great to have that representation in a film which isn't specifically all about that. It doesn't make a point of it being, you know, uh, um, an LGBTQ story because that normalizes it. And, and that's the way it should be in, in my eyes. Um, so it's romantic. It's beautifully shot. The lighting the, adds to the mood, the atmosphere. Henry Golding gives an outstanding performance. And I really recommend it. It's like I said, it's 85 minutes. It flies by. And it is, it is a really terrific piece of work. Oh, terrific. And it's good to point out that you had your own monsoon love story in New York because uh, you developed a relationship with a certain Mr. Brandon Flowers, shall we say. I did. You were so close. You were so close, weren't you, Joe? I did. And do you know what, right? Okay, so while, while we're talking about Brandon Flowers... Oh, here we go. Here okay. we go. Come on, kids. <laughs> so I met Brandon. I'm a big fan of The Killers. For anybody who's listened to the show, I'm sure they yeah, no, probably nobody mentioned Nobody doesn't know times. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm a huge fan of The Killers. I got Killers tattoos. I have been to see them however many times and I actually traveled across the world on my own to see them in New York City. I saw them um, play a festival and then the following day I saw Brandon do an acoustic show on the late night show with Seth Meyers and I, I waited for him um, afterwards. That sounds so creepy but I waited for him uh, after, after the show and I, I went up to him and I was like Brandon can I have a picture and then like everybody swarmed around and it was just chaos but did you know dan that our guest today craig roberts he's got his own killers connection he starred in the music video for here with me which was off of the band's fourth album battleborn and craig roberts is a picture of craig roberts and brandon flowers um and brandon they must have been playing ping pong or something and you have no idea how much i wanted to ask <laughs> craig roberts in the interview about, oh. i was gonna be like what's brandon like tell me tell me more like have you got his number can i have his number so i could just <laughs> message him but um, have, have, yeah. you, have you washed have you washed after touching him but, but i resisted i thought i gotta look professional well here. done then there's there's my confession here that i was so close to asking greg roberts about his oh, experience professional my ass i bet if you asked him <laughs> i bet if you asked him you'd have gone oh i'm really sorry i've got to go my agents go <laughs> <laughs> i bet you were like finish interview yeah, it was all right, but I wish I'd asked that question. <laughs> now, I don't want to cause anyone any offence, but I bought my own presents this year. Just need the money now. I'm not giving you that. Well, we have to, so you've got no choice. <gasps> I love it. How are you feeling? Fine. Good. You? Funny. We're putting you on a different dose of medication. Jane, you don't remember me? No, I don't know you. You're the most beautiful thing I've seen today. Shut up. Shut up. Do you remember my band? This, this will be expecting you. Well, I'm like a rock star now. Would you like to spend more time with me? Should I think about it? Thanks, thanks. Good readers. <laughs> If there's no such thing as happiness, only moments have not been depressed. I think I love you. I definitely love you.
dead. We are dead. How do I look? So we now have the great pleasure of being joined by the writer and director of Eternal Beauty, the incredibly talented Craig Roberts. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? I'm okay. Thank you for joining me, or at least having me, rather. Um, I'm very well. How are you doing? How's it going? Yeah, doing really, really well. How's, how's lockdown been for you, obviously, because I'm sure you've had many interviews like this over Zoom, over Skype, virtually. Does it get any easier for you? How's it going with that? Zoom Zooms are fine. There's a lot of them, and it's um, after a while, you know, it, you know, it always starts with how how have you been, how's it going, and stuff. Um, but I do prefer I do prefer being in my own house doing interviews. That's much nicer. I feel much calmer. To be honest. You're here today to talk to us about Eternal Beauty, which I saw back in February. Now I want to say at the BAFTA Cymru screening in Chapter. Saw yeah. it in 35 mil, and um, to this day, it is you know one of the best cinema cinematic experiences I've had. Certainly for 2020, it, it just blew me away. We covered it back in March, and I said that I was just transfixed by it. So it's great to be talking to you um, about this again. What can you tell us about Eternal Beauty for people who maybe aren't aware of it, and uh, where the idea of Eternal Beauty came from? Absolutely. I love that we're the best uh, experience of 2020 because there is no cinema cinematic experiences <laughs> of 2020. <laughs> I was going to say that. <laughs> um, so Eternal Beauty um, is, it follows uh, Jane, who uh, has been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, and it's about her navigating her way through life and dealing with her family and their issues and their reality as well. And it, it's uh, based loosely based on uh, just somebody that I know and somebody that I grew up with. And the film deals heavily with mental health, but quite unlike we've seen in cinema before, really. Usually when when we think about films which deal with mental health, they're usually quite dark, quite serious affairs. This is serious, but also there's a positive outlook to it as well. You've commented in the past, you said at that um, BAFTA screening in chapter that you see Jane's uh, schizophrenia as a superpower. Was it difficult navigating such complex and sensitive subject matter and getting that balance right between the humour and the serious side of obviously the, the mental illness? To be honest, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't too difficult. Like uh, I suppose walking the line of of, of uh, humour and, and what's what's dramatic because it was all coming from the person that I knew and that um, she's just very funny. It's really interesting, like, you know, most, um, most movies that touch on mental health, um, they're very dark. I mean, apart from, there's a, you know, there's a few that's not, I mean, but uh, they're very dark, and I just think that's unfair, really, just to, to paint, paint people in, in just one shade. You know, there's many, many, many sides of people, and I know at first when we, we were making this movie, um, people had questions about, whether the humour would make people feel uncomfortable and whether, whether it would sit right with people. But the fact that it makes people uncomfortable doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that maybe they haven't looked at it in that way. Um, I think it's totally unfair to say that just because somebody's living with something doesn't mean that they can't crack a joke or that they can't be funny. My main thing was to never laugh at the person and always to be laughing with because she's wicked in a, in a beautiful way. So it was really important. And look, we, we, we try in the edit, we took, took the humour out and we, 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 we tried to see what it was like with that. And... It was, it was not what I intended to do. I, I wanted to show a, a full person, 
and the ups and downs and people get good days and people get bad days there's a line that's probably very very um very bleak to some people but there's a line in the movie that says um maybe there's no such thing as happiness maybe it's only moments of not being depressed and for me that's just when we have bad days we, we shouldn't be, be hard on ourselves you know that bad days come a lot and that just means that when you have a good day you just need to to really enjoy it and and not take it for granted i think people are constantly striving for this 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 ideal state of, of of happy and normal when i don't really know what that means the film has been nominated for five bafta Cymru awards so congratulations on that um oh, you're up you. for best director you've got a best director nod very much well deserved and um sally hawkins is up for best actress as well what was it like working with sally and did you always have her in mind for the role when writing the film yeah, I absolutely did. Yeah, I, I had her in mind and I wrote the, the script for Sally, really, because I knew that I felt no disrespect to any other actress in the world. I felt like she's the only one that could do it. Um, and I, I sent it to her and she read the first half and she really liked it and she said she'd do it. And then I was just super worried she'd read the second half <laughs> and, not, and not want to. <laughs> but she was so on board and she was, you know, fully committed and she, she really went there. And we had a very long prep, really. I mean, not in the room with each other, but she was attached for about two years before we actually made the picture. So we had a lot of time to go through ideas and go back and forth with stuff. And uh, there was a time when maybe she couldn't do it because of timings and other, other commitments. And I just didn't want to really make the movie. It, it had to be with her. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you were currently working on the fantastic uh, Flick Crofts, which stars Mark Rylance. Uh, it was written by Simon Farnaby, um, both of whom we're big fans of. Uh, what can you tell us about that, Craig? So it's based on the true story of Morris Flickcroft who um, was a crane operator in Barrow and one day decided to, uh, to play golf and that that would be his, his mission uh, or his, uh, his calling. Um, so he, he actually got a form for the British Open and ticked professional and, uh, you know, just got in. Um, they didn't check and got in and um, he hit the, uh, the worst record to date, which is a one-to-one and then was, you know, banned from playing golf but wouldn't take no for an answer. So this is another di- directorial feature for, for you. Is, is this what we're going to be, what we can expect from you going forward? Or are you going to be in front of the camera anytime soon as well? I think it just depends on the idea, really. And like what, what, the, what the project is like, I'm not against acting. I've not really not um, left it on the doorstep. Um, I, I feel that um, I love acting and it's, um, it's informed me so much and, and really, uh, really helped me as a director and I would definitely will act um but at the moment I'm just I'm just loving making films and um it's it's such a it's such a wonderful journey and and to 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 get people to come together to create something is fantastic so I'm just following that right now I'm following that idea um until something else feels right but this this is certainly um what I see I see myself doing for a long time Definitely. And finally, you're a cl- uh, clearly a massive supporter of cinema, as are we. Uh, you've recently tweeted about Christopher Nolan's Tenet, which we have also loved. I'm still thinking about it now, to be honest with you. And you tweeted hashtag save cinema. Obviously, 2020 has been just a really kind of tough year for cinema. And there's a lot of doubt now whether, you know, what the future is going to hold. Are you worried at all? Or do you think audiences will constantly still want to go back to cinema? You know, there's something really unique and magical about that experience. There'll, there'll always be space for it. There'll, people will always want to see movies um, with other people and, and, and experience it that way. I really hope. Of course, Netflix um, is is a, is a, an incredible drug. It feels like you can, you can just watch it and watch it and watch it. Not that I'm calling Netflix a drug, 
um, <laughs> just in case they come after me. Don't do drugs, um, people. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic, it, I mean, it's fantastic Netflix. It's incredible what they're doing on Amazon, you know. Um, if Netflix could put more of, their, more, more of their movies in cinema, that would be fantastic. That would be a good way to go. But I think there'll be a place for it, and we'll, we'll get back to it. And the, um, there's, there's nothing like watching it. Um, for the community and, 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 and that shaping the way you watch the movie. I always think that if you go into, if you watch a comedy on your own and you don't find it funny, then that's fine. But if you watch a comedy and with an audience and they find it funny and you don't, then maybe you adjust what you find funny and that, you know, you then start to change. And that's, that's the beauty of cinema. So, and, and the, the cinematic experience. Uh, so fingers crossed, we, we, we end up going back. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to uh, revisiting Eternal Beauty on the big screen on 2nd of October. It feels like a lifetime ago since I saw it. Um, um, it is one of my favourite films of 2020. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing it on the big screen. We encourage everybody, as long as you feel safe and you feel comfortable doing so, to go and see it on the big screen. Um, 2nd of October, but it is also available on some streaming services as well, um, like BFI Player and Amazon, um, things like that. Either way, do seek it out. It is one of the best films of 2020. Craig, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Um, take care. And um, we can't wait to see um, the fantastic Flick Cross uh, very soon, hopefully. Joe, Daniel, thank you so much for having me on and being so supportive and stuff. I really appreciate it. Have a good rest of the year and uh, yeah, speak to you soon. And that was our interview there with Craig Roberts. Such a lovely guy. It was it, obviously through Zoom. Um, and he had a lovely bookshelf behind him. And he actually, he complimented your Indiana Jones poster, which nobody has ever done. <laughs> he did. We've had so many guests on the show and nobody's ever, ever complimented my Raiders of the Lost Ark poster. And to be honest, I could have spent the whole 10, 15 minutes we had with him just talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark, to be honest with you. You know how I get. But um, yeah, really nice guy. Um, really down to earth. Again, he's very passionate about film in general and his films. So it's always uh, great to talk to people like that. Joe, I know you saw this back in February. I saw this last night and I was very, very excited to watch it because I heard such good things about it. And obviously interviewing Craig just kind of gave more insight into kind of his process as a director. And all I can say first off is I am so looking forward to seeing kind of what he continues to make uh, and, and his filmmaking journey. Uh, because I think he's made a really strong, visually ambitious, bold film to start off with. Um, and I just really loved this film a lot. It had me tearing up towards the end, just all of a sudden. It felt like everything's going on with COVID and lockdown. Everything kind of just built up in me. And then this film kind of just released that through my eyeballs. And I was just tearing <laughs> up a little bit. Um, because like we spoke about Monsoon, um, people look at the trailer and go, it's an LGBTQ film. Um, same with The Turn of Beauty, people look at it and go, it's a film about mental illness. And it is a film about mental illness. But what it does with that, it uses mental illness as a vehicle, to uh, as a character study, to explore uh, Jane as a character mentally and to explore the relationship she has with her romantic interest uh, through her family, her dysfunctional family, shall we say. And it doesn't just put itself in a box of, oh, well, it's a film about schizophrenia and that's it. Because like I said, that is the center of the film, but there's also so many other things going about it. Sally Hawkins, I can totally understand why she's been nominated for a BAFTA Cymru. She's just absolutely terrific. Um, her nuances, her quirks, uh, just the little details to her performance, the mannerisms just had me stitchy. She's so comically funny. 
um, and her timing is great as well but it has a really nice way of balancing the humor with also the drama and the emotion as well and I just thought it was one of the best performances of the year so I think you know hands down she steals the show also love Billy Piper um, as this kind of really really kind of jealous bitter sister and again she has some really funny lines as well um and i i i really like billy piper just putting out there right now i think she's incredibly attractive but we're not going to talk about that <laughs> right now and i just love this the lighting the cinematography the time setting of it the fact that it has such an 80s vintage style to it uh, the houses and the locations and you know a lot of the time i i was watching it and i was thinking right what is actually going on is she is what she's um witnessing is, is it real is it in her head it is her condition kind of of schizophrenia driving her insane or or is she ever gonna be able to get off the tablets and kind of enjoy a normal life but i think the whole message of the film is that nobody's normal um and we all have our individual traits um and even somebody with schizophrenia um maybe they don't want to be normal maybe that's the way they cope with life and there's multiple points in the film where jane's asked are you okay and she goes yeah i'm fine and her mother says, well, you know, no, we don't want to be fine. We want to be good. But actually, I would argue sometimes being fine is enough, you know. So I thought it was really heartfelt, really sweet, endearing, funny. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. I'm glad glad you really enjoyed it. And I think you're right. I think the, the great thing about the film is that, you know, it deals with mental health. Like I said in the interview, it deals with mental health in a way which we very rarely see in cinema. You know, the biggest example of a kind of um, portrayal of mental health entering the mainstream kind of cinematic field, um, and it's something that Craig mentioned back at that BAFTA Cymru screening, uh, was Joker. You know, and, and that had a lot of controversy because he was portraying a guy with mental health as somebody who, you know, is going to get pushed further and further and further and then eventually going to kill someone and, you know, kind of kill people. And, and that's a dangerous representation to have of somebody who has got mental health problems. Although I think, you know, it's necessary to have that sort of representation as well it's it's refreshing to see a film which does have a positive outlook and i know that sounds strange to talk about you know when you're talking about a film with somebody who's who's got uh, schizophrenia but it does have a positive outlook and as craig has said in, in the past and in the interview that he sees um jane as somebody who has a superpower with their mental health and clearly it's a very very close personal um, subject matter to Craig. Obviously, he knows somebody who has schizophrenia. He's kind of based it on that individual. And I think that you can really tell that it's coming from personal experience. It's coming from that place of, um, you know, everybody says, write about what you know. And you can tell that he's writing about what he knows, what he's experienced to a degree, because the film has bags of heart it's coming from a real kind of lovely place where you can tell he loves these characters he loves these these people even though they might not be perfect some of the characters you can tell he has a great affection of for for them all and i think that really shines through most of all i think the performances are great sally hawkins she's just awesome anyways like she, she's just great in everything that she's in like, I don't think I've ever she, seen her in a bad <laughs> performance. She's done everything. She's dated fish. She's done yeah. everything. Yeah, you know. She has. Um, you know, she's she's kind of been near Godzilla as well. You know, she's great even in like Godzilla in the smaller roles that she's done. She's just she's just tremendous. And um, I can see why Craig kind of wanted her for this. 
and I think she does give an almost unrecognizable performance. Again, a performance full of charm, of like mischief as well. She's like a mischievous character, um, and I and I think her performance is incredible. I hope her, I hope Craig, I hope they all kind of get the recognition they deserve at BAFTA Cymru, and. Just seeing it back in February and March, I am looking forward to seeing it on the big screen again um, because seeing it on 35mm as well was just amazing. Um, I was just transfixed by it and just transported into this world. Craig is uh, a brilliant filmmaker. Like, you can tell he's got all the makings of a true auteur with it. Like, you know, he's got... When when we had our Q&A, you know, he talked about the colours that he used, you know, the fact that people say, you know, when they're sad or whatever, that they're feeling blue. So there's a lot of blue colours within the film. And you can tell he put so much attention to detail into every single scene of that film that you just, I just can't help but be excited to see what he does. And when we talked in the interview about him, you know, acting anytime soon, you can tell he's just kind of going with the flow and kind of seeing what, what happens, you know, taking one thing at a time. And I can't wait to see um, his next feature because it does sound right up his street as well. But I, I'd be personally be happy if he made another three four films before kind of returning to the in front of the screen um because you can tell he is uh, a young man who is honing his craft who is so passionate about cinema and even though as he said in the interview there have been very few cinematic experiences in 2020 that kind of makes it even better that i got to experience that just before lockdown and Bear in mind, I did see Parasite a couple of days before as well, you know? So, and for me, that kind of... that kind Big of shoes did. to fill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it is one of my favourite films of 2020. I can't wait to watch it again. It's been far too long um, since I've seen it. And I do encourage everybody to go out and watch it because it is tackling an issue which is so so relevant right now. Mental health is a big thing. It's a big issue. And especially now with lockdown, people being on their own um, and suffering, um, you know, on their own, being kind of isolated from people. It's a massive subject. It's a massive issue. And I think this tackles it in such a positive outlook, a heartwarming outlook that you'll leave. And even if you're having a really bad day, I think you'll leave and you'll kind of feel uplifted by it so um do go and watch it because it is uh, one of 2020's finest oh a lovely testament joe and an author i couldn't agree more he has such a signature style that and he, he's kind of fleshing out and you can see it in every shot every frame I, I think it's uh he's got a long career ahead of him and uh yes uh, thank you for gracing us with this craig yes, roberts thank you craig before we go now though um joe you want to quickly mention about um enola holmes which is coming out on netflix at the minute i've not seen this and as a, as a keen Sherlock Holmes fan, should I? <laughs> I mean, you know me, I just, I'm there with my magnifying glass going, oh, Watson, what do we have here? It's a, it's a piece of hair. <laughs> oh, dear me. Oh, Why are you laughing? Laugh. I am, I'm, I'm <laughs> the I? biggest Sherlock fan. <laughs> should I? <laughs> oh, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, uh, he's never. not in this. He's not in this. Just so. I know. That's why I haven't uh, watched it. <laughs> I want my I want my BC. Uh, so yeah, just just quickly because I really don't have a lot to say about this. Um, but I think it's worth talking about um, an option which is available for home streaming. So uh, Alona Homes is on 
is on Netflix and it stars Millie Bobby Brown, Henry Cavill, um, uh, Sam Claflin as well, who's great. I loved him early, uh, earlier this year in Love, Wedding, Repeat. I love, uh, he's such a great actor. I love him in everything he does. Um, and uh, Helena Bonham Carter. And it's a very kind of punchy reboot or kind of reimagining of the Sherlock Holmes story, um, which focuses on Sherlock Holmes's younger sister, who has kind of been left behind in, in the, her home with um, her mother. Um, her mother goes missing and um, Sherlock and um, her brother are kind of called uh, uh, back to um, back to the house and um, Enola goes on on her own adventure to basically um, solve the mystery of, of what's happened to her missing mother. It is two hours which is too long for Netflix films. Netflix films need to stop being two hours plus just, yeah. just leave it an hour I, I, 40, I, I, please. Scientists, scientists have found that after 90 minutes, the chill part comes in. You can see what I'm going to hear? Because people, people are, are innocent people. They, they, they genuinely, when they say Netflix and chill, they mean 90 minutes of Netflix and no chill. And but no once you press that 90 yeah. minutes, Enola Holmes, once you start getting the magnifying glasses out and start inspecting little clues, they just go, oh, baby, let's get going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's way too long at, at two hours, to be honest. It could have been done with being 20 minutes shorter, for sure. But it's fine. I think a lot of people are taking to it. I think Millie Bobby Brown is a great star. She's just got such charisma. Um, she just bounces around the screen and she kind of talks to camera breaks the fourth wall a lot so she's really good and she's kind of worth watching just for that Henry Cavill plays a good Sherlock um, and it has got a feminist edge to it I just wish it had been a bit more punk rock I think that I saw the trailer and it's got like a punk rock soundtrack to it and I thought maybe if they've kind of been a bit more adventurous with the kind of way that they told the story so like maybe had a punk rock soundtrack maybe like a girl band soundtrack or something like that yeah, like, like, like girls allowed or something like that not maybe. girls allowed oh, um but okay. anything but girls allowed um you know if they if they if they've been a bit more adventurous in the style and and everything to it i think um it could have been far better as it stands um Millie Bobby Brown and the cast are great, but it just plays it a bit too safe for my liking. But it's on Netflix. If you've got the subscription, it's worth kind of checking out on a Sunday evening if you've got nothing better to do. Yes, and all you kids, we're talking to you. Nothing better to do, okay? Just sit and watch the movie. Right, um, <laughs> that's all we've got time for on today's show. Thank you so much, Joe. And thank you to our special guest today, Craig Roberts, uh, for taking the time to have us interview him. Uh, Eternal Beauty is in cinemas October 2nd. And uh, make sure to follow us on Facebook. We're the Dan Joe Film Show. And we're also on Twitter at DJ Film Show and Instagram at DJ Film Show. And you can catch up on all our old episodes on Mixcloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. We're practically everywhere. We're at, we're at every part of your house you're <laughs> going to find us, okay? We're not going to leave you until oh, you listen. That is a terrifying end to the show, just being like, we're, we're in your cupboards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, you feel something in, in, in the depth, you know, depth of night, then it's us, it's under the bed. Um, no. <laughs> Halloween's coming on? up, kids. <laughs> yes, yeah, spooky times, everybody. Um, yeah, keep safe, everybody, and thank you so yeah. much for listening, and we'll see you next time for more Dan and Joe fun. Goodbye. Bye-bye.